We are in week three of our series, Battle Stories. And throughout this series, the goal has been to look at the testimony of what God has done in battles throughout the scriptures. To also then get insight and faith in what God promises to do in our own battles. And so we've looked at story after story throughout the scripture, stories about these warriors of the scriptures in order to learn what is God doing in the midst of our own battles? What is God teaching us and reminding us and encouraging us with? And so in the beginning of the series, we started in the first week with this classic underdog story of David versus Goliath. It's a story that even if you don't come from a church background, you're at least familiar with the metaphor of a David versus Goliath kind of battle. And in it, we, we learn this truth that you won't win a battle by trying to be someone you're not. That when David goes into the battle against Goliath, David is not trying to be Saul. He, he, in fact, he, in fact, refuses Saul's armor after trying it on, saying, I'm not used to these. He doesn't try to fight the way Goliath would fight. Instead, he simply bees who God has made him to be. He goes into the battle knowing that God has made him to be David. David, who's considered to be the beloved of God. That he goes into the battle using his own experiences and his own, and his own equipment, using a sling, And he goes into the battle trusting that God will be with him in the battle. Last week we looked at another warrior by the name of Gideon. Gideon, like David, has a unique identity given to him by God. God actually shows up and calls him a mighty warrior when he doesn't believe he would be a mighty warrior. He's the weakest of his clan. He doesn't believe he could be used by God. But in Gideon's battle, what we find is God is teaching us that you won't win a battle by trying to rely on your own strength. And the way that God taught Gideon that is as he was leading his army, the army of the Israelites, God actually takes his army from 32,000 all the way down to 300, all in order to prove a point. To prove a point to the nation of Israel that they won't win a battle by relying on their own strength. That it won't be, be about the size of their army, it won't be about their battle strategy, but it will simply be about the strength of God who goes with them into battle. And so today we're going to continue in this series by looking at a prophet by the name of Elisha. Elisha, not Elijah. And we're going to see how God, what God teaches us about our own battles. Now besides the kind of battle stories that we can read all throughout scriptures, as well as there are the battle stories that maybe even are passed on in your families of people who have gone to war and fought, there's another kind of battle story that I love. And that would be those that play out in the Marvel universe. Any Marvel fans in here? Now, there, there, are, there are incredible stories all throughout the Marvel Universe. There's a, there's a line, though, that I want to share that comes from the movie The Age of Ultron. And in it, Hawkeye is a character who is one of the heroes, and he has this uncanny ability to unchain people from their past, that he's able to see past their sins, their failures, their shortcomings, and, and point to a better future. And so in this movie, in the midst of a battle scene, Hawkeye has this, this dialogue with Wanda Maximoff. Wanda is in hiding in this building, and he sees her in the midst of this battle. And, and in this battle for Wanda, there's probably a lot she doesn't understand, a lot um, to the battle, the size of the battle, the scope of the battle, the strength of the enemy. But, but Hawkeye has this incredible line when he says this. He says to her, it doesn't matter what you did or what you were. If you step out that door, you are an avenger. Now for him, he's pointing out that the, in this battle, in this, even in this sense of not knowing while you're in hiding, the moment you step out that door, things change. You are not who you were. That your past no longer defines you. I believe the same is true for us as followers of Jesus. That there is a battle arena of life and Jesus invites us to step out the door. 
He invites us to follow him onto the battlefield, and he tells us it doesn't matter who you were. It doesn't matter what you did, but the moment you follow Jesus, the moment he says, come and follow me, and you take a step following him, it says it, it doesn't matter who you were. The Apostle Paul says this same thing, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when he says it this way. He says, that is what some of you were. He had just gotten done listing some of the ways that people sin and fall short. He says, that's what some of you were. And he says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Or to summarize, he said it doesn't matter what you did or who you were. Because Jesus has rescued you, he has freed you, he has washed you. And so when you step out that door, when you follow Jesus into the battle arena, you are a warrior whether you feel like one or not. You're a child of God, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so I want to invite you to turn to the book of 2 Kings chapter 6 as we look to our next warrior story. A story where we can be reminded of what God is doing even when it is hard to see. Now we're going to begin in verse 8 and listen to a portion of this story by a, of, of a warrior prophet by the name of Elisha. Elisha is the successor of the prophet Elijah. Elijah is known for there's this battle scene where he's one of the few prophets left and fire falls from the sky and, and burns up the sacrifice and, 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 then there's, and, and it's, he's kind of battling against all the prophets of Baal. Elisha is the successor. He continues in the work of his mentor and God does some amazing, miraculous and powerful things. He, he actually picks up where Elijah left off. Elijah gets carried away and a chariot to heaven, and Elisha continues in his work. Now, because of the way he hears God's voice and responds um, and encourages people, and because of some of the miraculous things that people see, it's not long before kings are also seeking out Elisha for his help. He ends up actually as a key support for the Israelites as they're suffering things like famine and war. And so it's in the midst of difficult battles that Elisha is alongside of them, speaking and reminding them of God's provision and protection, encouraging them to remain faithful to God, even when it appears that they're in a losing battle. And so I'm going to begin in chapter 6, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 8, and we'll read and stop at several points along the way. It begins this way, verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a, such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So in this battle, there's a war against Israel. The king of Syria is making plans in private. He's making his battle plans in order to attack the Israelites. And so the man of God here that it's referring to is Elisha. And it tells us that Elisha sends a word to the king of Israel in order to tell him about what's happening. Now, Elisha did not necessarily support the king of Israel, but he also believes it's not good for the nation of Israel to be conquered or subjugated under Syria. And so he decides, all right, although he doesn't love what's happening with the king of Israel, he is going to support and protect and share what he is hearing from God in the midst of this. Now, it, it continues, and this gets really interesting. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. In other words, Elisha shares what he heard from God to the king of Israel. The king of Israel says, well, let's see if this is actually true. Like, let's check out that place. And then, it's, and then it says, time and again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. Now, verse 11, this enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? 
None of us, my lord, the king, the king said, one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Now, I love this because the enemy king here is freaking out because he, he, he doesn't understand how does, how does our enemy know what we're going to do before we do it. Like, how is the nation of Israel always a step ahead? Like, every plan that I have, Israel's there. They're ready. They're waiting. And so he starts to blame his own men. He says, obviously, there must be a traitor in our midst. Like, who's, who's the mole? Where's the leak? Let's shut it down. And then they tell him that it's, it's none of us. In fact, it's Elisha, the prophet. He says, well, the, well Elisha, who's this man of God, he actually is, he's actually receiving a word from God about the conversations you're having in private. In other words, Elisha knows what you're talking about even when he's nowhere around. And so they find out that the reason that they keep losing is that this prophet by the name of Elisha who is fighting for these people is hearing from God and speaking these words of wisdom to the king. So we continue in verse 13. So so the king says, go find out where he what is, which is obvious, right? If, if he is hearing from God what they're going to do, like, let's take out that guy. He's the, he's the reason they're winning. So take him out, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back. He is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city Oh, my Lord, what shall we do, the servant asked. So the battle plan has become, let's find the prophet. If we can take him out, if we can take out and stop him from hearing from God what we're going to do, well, then we have a shot to actually win. And so they find out he's in Dothan. They send horses and chariots, a strong force. They surround the city. And I love what, how it describes the servant of Elisha. The servant goes out and he gets one glimpse. And he says, oh, no. Like he looks around, what are we going to do? Because they're surrounded. So there are moments in the battle when it appears that we are losing. This is the moment for the servant that he walks out. He's like, they, they, they stopped our plan. We had every step that they were going to take and, and God spoke to us and he stopped it. And it's, and it's interesting that that, that God didn't speak to stop this plan. But for the servant, he, he looks out and he says, I, I see the horses, I see the chariots, I see the army. Like, what are we going to do? You and I in our own battles, it is so often that there are moments when we look around and we feel surrounded because by all observations, we're about to lose. Moments when everything that we can see just is evidence that we're surrounded by the enemy. Like, he's got you cornered. On one side, our, it's our own sinful tendencies that keep drawing us back in over and over and over again. And the enemy's like, he's got a target. He's got you on lock, and he keeps winning. On another side, he has the world trying to speak to you and whisper you and lure you in, saying, all right, let's, let's talk about what's good and right and holy. Casting doubts on things that you believed are true. On another side, he's speaking lies to you, lies about who you are, lies about the love and the grace and the mercy of God, lies about the things that you fear. He destroys you with words of condemnation and doubt, words that make you question your own worth. 
And the reason that this is such an effective thing when we feel surrounded is because he's a really good liar. And so we look around and we see evidence that the enemy is winning because he's a liar and he points out the things that we tend to believe are true that aren't true. Now that makes it difficult, right, about, about a lies when, when, when things look a certain way and we don't realize that it's a lie, we, tend, we, we believe it. We don't know it's a lie while we believe it's true. But here's the thing in the midst of the battle, as we become more aware, this is why we're telling these battle stories, because when we see how the enemy operates in battles throughout history, we see how the enemy continues to operate today. And the quicker we are able to tell that he's a liar and how he is attacking us, we are better able to spot his tactics. And so my hope is the sooner you're able to realize that when I feel like I'm alone, that's a lot. Like the sooner I realize it, the sooner I realize it's a tactic of the enemy. That I can then replace it with the truth of God. The sooner I realize when I hear uh, hear, hear, uh, something come to my heart and my mind, like I'm not good enough. That I know that those words of condemnation are from the enemy that I can look to the words of truth that God speaks over me. That the sooner we recognize the tactics, the sooner we can look to the truth of God. And so listen to how Elisha responds in verse 16. He says, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. He says, don't. Be afraid. Now, this has come up a few times in the midst of this series of battles that it's often that God is telling us not to be afraid when things seem really scary. And so there is fear for the servant. There is fear when they look around and they see the enemy closing in. There is fear when they see chariots and horses, which is advanced military weaponry. Of course they're afraid, but Elisha sees something that they don't. He says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Which is interesting to me because if the servant just looks around, he can do a quick count. Like when, when, when Elisha gives the reason he shouldn't be afraid, he says, well, well we have them outnumbered. And if, if I'm the servant, like I, I, some quick math, and unless it's this new math, like he is, has a very obvious answer that who's winning. So he does a quick count and he's like, he's like all right, I hear the words you're saying, but when I look around, like we are still outnumbered. The Israelites still, by all observations, are about to lose. And so in verse 17, Elisha doesn't just speak that truth. He, he prays and he says to him, he says to God this, Elijah prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes so he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. See, when the servant goes out and he looks around, there's the way things appear and there's the way things are. And the way that things appear isn't really the way things are. Like he does the math and he thinks that they're outnumbered, but the reality, the truth, is that God's got them outnumbered. And so then when Elisha prays, all right, open his eyes, let the servant see, open his eyes that he might see, then he's able to see something different. I believe God wants to open our eyes. Because you and I are all facing some kind of battle, a battle in our home, a battle in our workplaces, with our friends, in our marriages, a battle through our experiences, a battle against sin. And I believe that God wants to open our eyes. 
because there are some things that we see that aren't really the way they are because it's the work of the enemy. And there are some things that you can't see that are more true than the lies that you believe. There's some things that you can't see that are truly present. And so God wants us to have our eyes open to realize that when you feel like you're losing, that God's about to claim victory. When, when you feel like you are outnumbered by the enemy, that God has an army that you can't see. That when you feel like you've lost, that the cross has already declared the victory. When you feel like death gets the last word, that you see that God offers resurrection. And so Elisha prays and the servant can see something different. And so what if we prayed that God would open our eyes to truly see? Because I believe there are some things you can't see that are truly present. There is a presence of God that maybe you can't see. Maybe you feel like you miss. Maybe it doesn't feel like God's present. Maybe it's just easier to see all the examples of where God isn't. Maybe it's easier to hear the lies, to see the sin, to see the failure. But there is a faithfulness, there is a power, there is a love of God that overpowers any work of the enemy. And I believe you can't win a battle without your eyes open. And so what if God opened our eyes to see what he was really doing? Now it's interesting what the servant sees before and after God opens his eyes. Before God opens his eyes, he sees the chariots and the horses. Which, are, which is legit military weaponry. It is very advanced weaponry. But what's incredible to me is this incredibly advanced weaponry, once God opens his eyes, he sees more advanced weaponry. He sees chariots of fire. It's, it's like he looks around and he thought like, oh, no, we got chariots. And God's like, watch this. Like, I can, I, I can, I can one-up that. Because God's got more firepower than the enemy has. And so God shows him chariots of fire. In other words, the worst attack of the enemy doesn't compare to the firepower of God. No matter what the enemy wants to throw at you, God's got more firepower. No matter what shots the enemy takes, God's got stronger weapons. I love that the scripture describes the work of the spirit as fire in so many places. We see that with Elijah when the fire comes and consumes the sacrifice. We see it in the book of Acts as they begin to hear and prophesy and speak in these other languages in order to spread and share the gospel. Like incredible ways. And I believe that when it comes to our own life and our own battles, God shows up with fire. He shows up with fire Burning away sin, burning away the doubts, burning away the fear. And so I wonder, what is the battle that you feel like you're in right now? What is the battle that you feel like you're in and you feel like you're in it on your own? Is it a battle for a particular relationship that it feels like you are hitting a wall? Is it a battle against a repeated sin that you've tried to change, you've tried to correct it, and you feel like you keep losing? Do you feel like you are turning to the same ways to cope with your loneliness over and over again? Are you fighting against a fear that you feel like you can't win? Are you fighting against wounds of abandonment? What, what is the battle that you're in? Because the enemy knows where to attack you. He targets you really well. But no, in that battle... For every targeted attack the enemy takes, 
God offers more firepower. And God is closing in on the enemy with chariots of fire. He closes in to burn away the betrayal, to burn away the lies, to burn away the fears and to make room for peace and joy, to make room for love and forgiveness. He sets you free from what the enemy did when you were left. He sets you free from what happened when you were hurt. He wipes away every tear. He washes away every sin. The warrior David, who we talked about the first week, writes it this way in Psalm 23. And I can just picture David as the warrior poet picturing this scene in his mind. And he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I picture Elisha's servant having that kind of experience. Experiencing the presence of God in the midst of the battle. This is what David is writing about, right? It's a, it's a table with God. Dining with God, but surrounded by the enemy. And for Elisha's servant, that's what he experiences. The enemy doesn't stop being there even when he sees that God is surrounding him as well. What happens is he just becomes aware that God's power is greater than the power of the enemy. And so David is saying in this psalm that God is preparing a table for you. And whatever battlefield you are in, that God is setting up a dining table right in the middle of it. And he's pulled up two chairs. And he's setting out a feast for you. And he's going to sit on one end. And you're going to sit on the other. And as you sit face to face with God, he wants you to know that there's nothing that you have done that can keep you from that table. That your past is past. That your sin does not keep you apart, of the, apart from that table. No tragedy will keep you apart from that table. And so Jesus invites you to sit at that table with him. Your regrets, your mistakes, your failures, none of it keeps you from having that feast with God. But that table then is also surrounded by enemies. And so the question is, as we sit there with Jesus in the midst of the battlefield, are we going to look to the face of Jesus, or are we going to look and listen to the enemies who surround us? Because you have a choice. You can, you can sit in the presence of Jesus, listening to Jesus and the words that he is speaking over you and to you. You can gaze into his eyes as he sits with you. Or you can listen to what the enemy says. You can be overwhelmed by the presence of the enemy or you can be overwhelmed by the presence of God. Where you look is going to determine what you see. And so you can look to, to Jesus who is sitting with you and eating with you, who is more powerful than any enemy that you can come up against. Or you can look around you to the enemy and listen to his lies. You can look to the chariots and the horses that surround you, or you can look to the chariots of fire that overpower the enemy. Paul echoes this same thing in Romans 8, which is where we started today, when it says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Imagine sitting at that table with Jesus and hearing him say, you're, you're a conqueror. And the enemy's all around, and he's telling you why you're not a conqueror. He's telling you what you're about to lose to. And Jesus is sitting there looking you in the eye saying, you're more than a conqueror. You've got this. And the enemy just keeps shouting, keeps whispering, keeps doing whatever it can to distract you from the truth that Jesus tries to speak to you. We are warriors in this battle. And as you step out that door as a follower of Jesus, it doesn't matter who you were or what you did. You are now a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror through Jesus. 
And so then Paul says, so let's talk about what the enemy might do when he surrounds you, because that won't win. I just want you to know that you're in the presence of Jesus and surrounded by the enemy. And so he just said, just to make sure, like, know this. He says, I'm convinced neither death, which is the work of the enemy, or life, which comes from God, neither the angels who are fighting for you, or demons, who is the work of the enemy, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation. Paul says, none of that will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's power. That's the kind of fight that we need in our battles. And so let me ask you today, where are you going to look? Are you looking to the strength of the enemy and the weapons he's brought? Are you looking to the circumstances of your life and all the evidence that things aren't going the way that you planned it to go? Are you looking to your own sin as evidence that you're not good enough and you won't ever be? Or are you looking into the face of Jesus who's laid his life down for you? Because Jesus says we are more than conquerors. And the enemy is still around. He shouts and he is loud and he even packs a punch. But know this, the enemy is a distraction, not a threat. The enemy can't take you out. The enemy lies because he knows he can't take you out. And so since he can't take you out, the best shot he's got is to distract you from Jesus. To pull your gaze away from him. To, to, to turn your ear away from the truth. And so let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us set our attention and our worship and our awe to Jesus who is sitting at the table with us. May God open our eyes to see that even as we are surrounded by the enemy, we sit at the table with Jesus. And so I want to pray for us as we close. And I also want to pray, as, as we pray, I just want to ask God to open our eyes. And as we pray, I want us to pay attention to the battles in our own life, to pay attention to what's in our heart and our mind of these seasons of struggle and difficulty where we feel maybe the attacks. And just ask God to show us, to show us what he's doing, to show us where he is, to show us how he is present. If you would pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. We thank you for fighting for us. We thank you that you prepare, prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And so we just pray that we would hear and listen to you. That even as the enemy shouts and even as the enemy distracts, tries to distract us, that we would know the enemy doesn't have power. That he's nothing more than a distraction because you have already claimed victory. That by your death and your resurrection, you have made us warriors. You have made us more than conquerors. And so, Jesus, I just pray that we would believe that. I pray that we would trust that. And Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would speak to us here as we wrestle with our own lives and our own experiences. That you would bring to our heart and our mind our own battles. That you would show us the areas of battle that we are experiencing. As we pray, I just invite you to pay attention. What comes to your heart and mind as we listen? Maybe it's a particular area of sin, a particular struggle. Maybe it's a situation you're in. Maybe what comes into mind is a description of that. Maybe you picture it um, almost like a scene like David kind of paints. That you, maybe you picture the hospital room or, or the classroom or the work office.
Where's the battlefield in your life right now? And Jesus, you tell us that you're present with us even when the enemy is at work. And so would you show us where you are? Show us where you are and what you're doing in the midst of our battles. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is fighting for us. Maybe some of you have have in your minds and your hearts a picture of Jesus fighting or protecting. Psalm 23 describes a table, and so maybe you picture just sitting at a table with Jesus in the midst of a hospital room. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see. To see not what the enemy is doing, but to see what you are doing. To see your love, to see your protection. That we would hear, that we would listen to you, that we would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that your presence overpowers the work of the enemy.